Hello and welcome to the pep talk. You're here with your two favorite bald frauds, Sam and Jason, previewing the Champions League final and doing a little review of the FA Cup final as well. Jason, how you feeling after that wonderful derby at Wembley? Mate, we just beat United in a cup final. How do you think I'm feeling? <laughs> it's fucking wonderful. <laughs> it's as good as it can get, right? <clears throat> Man City just done the double. We've just won an FA Cup, um, Premier League FA Cup. Did it against our rivals. Rivals, mind you, who I should add, were all about just stopping us doing a treble. So that's all they were, they were about. Shows their sm- small club mentality. Um, so, yeah, man, I'm, I'm feeling fantastic right now. What about you? How are you feeling? Yeah, feel wonderful. Honestly... I looked at this game as like the least important of the three trophies, but I was surprisingly like just super relieved after it just because it was such a weird game and all of that. But it was it's just it's always nice to beat United and to yeah. see everybody's heads melting like you have no idea how happy it made me to see David Beckham with his hands in his head. <laughs> like it just, and, and same with like Sir Alex, just like, just looking defeated. That's honestly, that's my favorite part of the whole thing. It was wonderful. Yeah. Look, look I feel <clears throat> the, the build up to the game for me was a little bit weird. Um, I've been, more stressed about the Champions League final. And that's basically been living in my head rent-free for the last three weeks since we beat Madrid. Basically, that's all I've thought about, like, you know, the Champions League final. <laughs> um, so the, the FA Cup final kind of, like, snuck up on me in, in terms of, like, the importance of it. And because we were playing United, um, it didn't hit me till the day of the game. And unfortunately for me, I'm, I live in Australia, so... Um, the game is, was literally at 12 o'clock at night. <clears throat> and so basically you wake up in the morning and you basically got to wait about you know, 15 hours until the game starts. So, um, cause you're not going to sleep for a couple of hours and then wake up again at 12 a.m. It just doesn't, just doesn't work that way anymore. Um, so yeah, for me, the buildup was a bit strange, but then when I got on the day, I'm like, bloody hell, we're playing Man United in, in a, in an FA cup final. This is huge. Um, and then you know, you get closer and closer to the game. I was still confident, but like like I said, the Champions League final was just living rent-free in my head, and it still is. It still is. I'm still, it's still living rent-free in my head. But, you know, beating United just is, like you said, it is amazingly sweet. And seeing the reactions after the game, the, the emotional... The emotions that I went through the game as well, especially in that first half, were like ups and downs... Um, which we'll, I guess we'll talk about in a bit, but look, man, I'm 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 ecstatic. We've just done a double, um, and it's a strange it's a strange feeling doing a double, but not like I'm happy. But there's something bigger coming up, and that's the Champions League final and the ability to make history with a treble. Like, like doing a double is hard as it is. Like, no, not every team does a double every single year. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's one of those things where it's like. Um, you know, I think we've done the double once in 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 this mentor era, which is 20, 2019 when we've done the the domestic treble, 
And then you look at other teams who have done double. There's not many. There's not many teams that have done like it's been a long time for a lot of teams who have done a double, the FA Cup and and the Premier League. So within itself, it's a massive achievement. But you know, because we've got the Champions League final, you have to win that now. That's that's the that's the golden prize. Yeah. Uh, I, I, at least to me, I agree. Like the Champions League is is the golden prize. It was, it it was nice, you know, before the game. I honestly, I didn't feel that nervous going into this one. Um, going into the Champions League final will be a little different, just because it's the Champions League final. <laughs> um, I all I'm going to be doing for the next week, Asan said it on 93.20 as well. Like I'm just going to bury my head in work. <laughs> and just because I'll just constantly be thinking about this for the next week. And I don't want to do that. So yep. um, I'm just going to be trying to shift my focus elsewhere. So I don't have to think about this for the next week. Um, so that's kind of how I'm going man. into that. It's hard, man. Like I, I I've like, it's like it's like you go on Twitter and you're refreshing. <laughs> you're refreshing to just get through time or something or do something, you know, fiddling with your hands. You do work, you're trying to do something just to keep your mind off it. I told my wife already, I'm like, listen, Sunday, leave me alone. Don't talk to me. Take the kids. I don't want to deal with anything. <laughs> I'm gonna oh, be emotion- yeah. I'm gonna be an emotional wreck, man. <laughs> I will actually be at a wedding during the final too. Oh, which is man. the worst. It's that's, my that's, cousin's wedding. Yeah, that's so I will be going late to his wedding. Your head's uh, going to be elsewhere for the entire wedding. <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to be thinking or communicating with anyone. I just it's <laughs> going to be great cuz the, the game starts at 3 o'clock our time here and the wedding reception is until 5. So, uh that will dictate my mood at the wedding reception. <laughs> <laughs> I'll either be celebrating or I'll be depressed. One of the two. So yeah, it's, uh, it's, uh, yeah. Let's it's let's dive into this FA Cup final. So you know, game, we already kind of talked about how we were feeling before the game. Um, lineup, not really a surprise. There's no no real reason to talk about the lineup. Um, and then first goal, twelve seconds into the game. I mean, <laughs> I, fucking the, brilliant. I literally sat down, turned the game on because I, I I usually don't like watching previews before a game. I'm not, I really hate watching the pregame, so I usually always turn on the game as soon as it starts. Um, luckily for this game, I literally started it as we kicked off. So for us to score in that first twelve seconds was hilarious. <laughs> I actually started laughing. I was like, "What the fuck?" <laughs> I couldn't believe it. I, I just, couldn't believe it. Yeah, I was just pissing myself laughing. I was like, okay, <laughs> that happened. Um, I was just looking like, did that really go in? Like, <laughs> Yeah, it was, it was wow. shocking. It was like 1-0 it was like, like Man City. I'm like, what? <laughs> it's like, <laughs> what? What happened? I had that. Like, I literally like my headphones on getting ready and just like we scored. I'm like, okay, <laughs> good start. <laughs> It was beautiful, beautiful. And then, the, honestly, like that kind of changed the entire game. That changed how we play, changed how United play. Um, yeah, it, it did. And I, I messaged you during the game. I'm like, do you feel like the, the goal hurt us a little bit in terms of the way we approached the game, the way we wanted to play the game? I feel like it kind of did in a way. But look, that goal, yeah. 
that goal sums up Gundogan's season and Gundogan's career at City. He's just a big time player, big game player, big clutch player, mate. He is what a player. Yeah, I don't, I don't know more. I don't know any other player at City that has scored more big goals in games. Like, obviously, the biggest is the Aguero ninety three twenty, but. I don't know of any other player who has scored like consistently just big goals in big games. Like the two yesterday, the two against Aston Villa, even um, the one against Everton the other day. Yeah, yeah, even the one against Everton. But even uh, go back to one of his first games in a city uniform um, when we beat Barcelona. And it was it was a huge deal. We beat Barcelona in the Champions League group stage. He scored two goals. Yeah, the, the and that was like Barcelona when they were Barcelona with Neymar, Suarez, Messi. You know, uh, Luis Enrique was their coach. Like that yeah. was Barcelona when they were flying, and that was City before they really became City. And we beat them, and Gundogan scored two goals that game. Yeah, the only player that I can think that comes close is Yaya Toure. You know, the the Newcastle goals, the. The FA Cup semi-final goal in 2011. Um, he's probably the only player that I can think of that big moments, big goals. You know, you know, come on, guys, let's carry. Let me carry you on my back, basically, and let me score a goal out of nothing. Um, and that's what Gundogan has been doing for us, man. Like both goals in this game, you could say they're like kind of out of nothing and weren't expected. They probably had the lowest XGs that you can think of yeah yeah i think they were both like collectively like 0.4 xg or something yeah, 0.04 xg yeah they're not goals you expect to go in or to, for us to even score from there you know what i mean city are not the type of team to hit bangers from outside of outside of the box that that usually happens against us <laughs> but look man like i said it, it sums up gundahan's career and and who he is and and the legendary status that he's built at man city um, from where, from when he came to City to where he is now, like it's night and day. The way people look at him, the way people appreciate him, and he's probably been underrated for years. I'd say. Um, yeah. Well, well, let's get to him in a little bit. Let, yeah, let's talk about him at the end. Yeah. So, obviously, there were a couple uh, controversial refereeing decisions in yep. the first half. So let's get to the first one: is the Casemiro stamp on. A kanji. Yeah, so, look, look. So the stamp on a kanji. I think the biggest problem for me in the moment, and I got, I was getting, I started getting emotional by the end of the half with how many decisions that the refs made with it. That were just like, what the fuck is going on, type of thing. Um, but the fact that they gave a free kick to Man United because Casemiro just screamed and acted like he got shot when he's the one that almost put a leg breaker on a kanji to me look it's it's a hard, it'll be a harsh red card to give right it's probably an orange card in in the moment or if it got reviewed by var and var would never have intervened there because unless it was a clear and day red card they're not going to intervene so i understand var not getting involved but the fact that the referee gave a free kick to manchester united on a play like that Tells you everything you need to know about the incompetence of referees in the Premier League and and the FA. 
And that's my biggest issue. And like we've talked, we've had a few times where we've had to talk about referees um, in 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 England and and in the Premier League and the FA, etc. So that for me, that's 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 the it started with that, and then the decisions that came afterwards. You just think and go, are you serious? Like I, I made a thread on Twitter with like <laughs> I had three videos up um, by the end of the half, and I said, how big is this thread gonna get by the end of the half? By the end of the game, thankfully nothing else happened. In the second half, where you go, okay, that's really, really bad. But even on the other side, like I, 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 I like to sometimes after a game and look at, um, you know, the Manchester United side, what they were saying about the game or, or ref decisions. Even they had a few decisions where, where like Bernardo lashed out at Luke Shaw, um, and just went straight for his legs. They didn't even go for the ball. That's a yellow card, right? But they didn't get that yellow card. It's things like that that shows it's not a bias. It's just incompetence, constant incompetence by the referees. So that's that's how I that that was my frustration. But at Casemiro stamp, you could argue it's a red card. I'd say it's an orange card. It's like in between a yellow and a red. You can argue either way. But the fact that the ref gave the free kick to Manchester United, you say, well, incompetence. So, I mean, that wasn't a good decision. Obviously, terrible. Decision. Everybody, everybody knows <laughs> that. But I also think that the referee didn't see it, and that's why. Because for me, watching the TV. When I first saw it, I was like, oh, that's a foul on the kanji. Like, just looking at it, like, real time, because you don't have the way that at least the camera is angled, you don't have the visibility to see Casemiro stamp him. I thought Akanji lost control of the ball, Casemiro got it, and Akanji kind of cut him down. And that's what it looked like, and I didn't see until I saw the replay that um, Casemiro got him, and I don't know where the refs were. So, obviously, if the ref's looking right at that, that's one thing. But, like, if he, if the ref is, like, kind of behind Casemiro or behind Akanji, it's really hard to see that. And, like, at least from my angle, obviously, I'm looking way farther away. But, the, like, my first reaction was, oh, yeah, that's a foul on Akanji. Akanji cut him down because it looked like he lost control of the ball. And so, my guess is the ref just didn't have a clear view of it. And that's why. Now, that's a whole other debate on, like, whether the ref was in the correct position. Because that has to do with a lot. And and I agree with you that, like, that's not going to be reviewed because that's not a clear red. Like, it's a debatable red or yellow, and I'd entertain either one. But it's not a clear red, so it's not going to be reviewed by VAR. But I think that's the only reason that they, like, if they really knew that Casemiro stamped him, they obviously would have given either a card or at the very, very least given City the ball. So I think they just had a terrible angle. And that could also go to poor refereeing. I don't know how referees are meant Paul, to stand. Paul Turney is a terrible referee. He always has been. I'm, I'm not sure why Michael Oliver wasn't refereeing this game. He's the only referee that I kind of trust in the Premier League, <laughs> being honest. So Paul Turney is literally a terrible referee. And... His incompetence just shone through the entire game. He had no control of the game. Well, let's go to the next one. <laughs> the next and, and, and this bit is the of funny incompetence. One, right? Yeah, right. The next one. The next one. We're talking about clear and obvious, right? So a clear and obvious error by the referee. The Casemiro stamp. You can't classify it as a clear and obvious red, so they don't go to VAR. So the same rule should apply to the handball. I get the rule of unnatural position, but 
But it's like it's 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 like no, making that's... a decision. It's making a decision based on a player jumping. His hands move when you jump. It's natural, right? It's that's a, it's clear. A, it's a, that's clear and obvious, though. It, it was. But it's no, no, it's not because the natural movement of your arms as you're jumping and coming back down, all right. Grealish wasn't looking at the ball. He was looking at the ball. He wasn't looking at Wambasaka. So he's not looking to block the ball with his hand, right? So yeah, but none of that matters. I, I, I get, I get the point that it doesn't matter and it's not intentional, etc. But it was literally point blank range, right? So where, where is he going to move his arms? Is, does, does he need to cut off his arm? So I think the rule needs to change, but by the letter of the rule, like that was a correct call, which is I, I, stupid. It's I agree. It's a st- yeah, it's a stupid rule because it's like you said, it's a stupid rule because if you jump and your arms are a little bit out and you're at point blank range, you're giving up a penalty, right? But it's like, does a player need to jump with his hands behind his back? That's a very unnatural movement for someone to do just so they don't so- give up a penalty. Or a so, chance of a penalty. And the fact that it nipped his fingertips, it was like it didn't change the trajectory of the ball. It didn't change an outcome of anything. There wasn't even a United player in the box to receive the header. So if anything, him flicking it with his hand actually went closer to a United player because the header was going straight to, to Otega. So him flicking it with his fingers didn't really change much. That's my issue with it. I guess I get your point, though. It, it, does, but- it does fit the rules. <laughs> yeah, well, that's the thing is, so the rule says that your your armor hand can't be in an, a, quote, unnatural position um, outside of where it would normally be. And yeah, you can argue that when you jump, your hands aren't going to be down by your side, which I agree with. Now, the part that's unnatural is the, the refereeing federation or somebody in like the refereeing world has actually issued like a clarifying statement that says if your hands are anywhere above your head that is automatically an unnatural position and so and his hands were above his head so if it hits his hand or his arm at all well they're above his head automatic handball like automatic and so it's stupid the rule needs to be looked at and it needs to be changed but as stupid as it is like that is clear as day that's a handball like everybody knows it hit his hand it's just it sucks it does it's, suck. It's really and it's really unfortunate because there's nothing Grealish can do about that. Correct. Just that's, nothing. That's, that's the issue, right? So it's the problem is. For but me, we've also had decisions go our way because of that this year. Like yeah, we've look, seen, we've had stupid handballs. But also in the past, we've had stupid handballs like that not go our way. That's, so, that's the problem. The inconsistency, right? So it's like it's like is it the is it a hard black and white rule or is it a a decision made by oh, it's a clear and obvious, we'll make a decision on it. That's the issue. Look, if that was Champions League and that happened, it's a penalty, 100%, because they're so consistent with it. But in the FA and the Premier League, they're not consistent with it. They're not consistent with it at all. We've seen so many decisions, not just for City, for other teams, where a hand blocks a goal or a shot at point blank and they don't call the penalty. Right, they don't call it. They don't take it back to VAR, and the reason why they don't is because they go, "Okay, it's a bit too close. We'll make a decision, and it's not clear and obvious." Right, but that's the inconsistency issue that the Premier League and the FA has, which which goes back to my original point: is they're fucking incompetent. It's just incompetency yeah. going from top to bottom. 
It starts with Howard Webb and it keeps going down. It's just, it's just, a, it's just a farce. I agree, though. The rule does need a change. It does need clarification. They did, yeah, change. and especially just, yeah. I think the one reason they did overturn it is because Grealish's arms were so high in the air, and it's stupid. Yes. But like, that's yes. why. Um, another one though, which was a really poor refereeing decision, but went City's way, was that Aaron Juan Bissaka yellow card. Like, <laughs> yeah, he went and dove confidence. for. Yeah, he went and dove and completely missed Grealish completely. And Grealish fell over and Juan Bissaka gets a yellow card. And it shows how yeah, bad I mean, Paul Turney is as a referee. Like I said, I was, I was giving examples of, of that one and the Luke Shaw from Bernardo. It, it's not during the game, obviously, emotions are high. You think there's a clear bias, you know, the game's rigged, whatever. But after the game, you relax, you, you take a step back and you go, let's look at this objectively. And you can all you can come to the conclusion of is that the Premier League and the FA referees are incompetent. Well, that was the other weird thing is that for that one too, I thought the same thing when I watched it. I thought, oh yeah, that's a easy yellow. And then you watch it back and you're like, oh, he didn't touch him. Yeah. So it might have been another thing where the referee didn't have a good angle at it, and that was the problem. Now that also, like I said, I'm not a referee, so I don't know their protocols and like where they should stand in what it's situations. It's a difficult job. It is a difficult job. Let's yeah, be honest. I just, I don't know. Cause like every, like referees will know you're supposed to, when the ball's here, you stand here and that kind of stuff. But it is poor that both of those two decisions, one that should have warranted either a yellow or a red and the other one that shouldn't have warranted a yellow at all, that both of them, it looked like the referee just didn't see it. And that's my guess on it, because like from a further angle, both of their decisions look correct. And it's only when you watch it back, you think, oh, yeah, I didn't see that at all. So that that's the part that I personally thought maybe they should be standing at better angles and they just they didn't catch that. I Maybe that's something that they look at where like if it's something that obvious, VAR just says, no, you were wrong on that one and just make them change it. I, I don't know what the right solution is. Yeah, you, but, don't, you yeah. don't want VAR to intervene on everything. That's that's the issue because it will kill the flow of the game. But again, same thing with the decision for the KDB penalty, right? The Where Fred just took out his legs. It, VAR won't intervene in that scenario because it's not clear and obvious, right? It's like the referee didn't call it on the field. If, if, if the referee called it on the field, VAR would keep the penalty, right? They won't take that back. Because it's not a clear and obvious foul. And this is the whole problem with the inconsistency of clear and obvious. If the thing is a penalty, just give it a penalty. If it's not a penalty, don't give a penalty. You know what I mean? That's that's it. For some reason, we have this thing in the Premier League and the FA where there has to be a seamless, where there has to be like a divide between VAR and the on, on-field referee when they should be working in tandem as a team to come to the correct decision every time. But instead, we have this weird scenario where we have VAR working very separately to the referee on the field, where it's like, I'm not going to make decisions for you unless it's clear and obvious, which has a high bar. And it's like, what is clear and obvious? Because you're just, you're putting fake lines in on decisions that should be just decisions that are right or wrong, right? So it's things like that that irk me. Like to me, that the KDB where Fred took out his legs before the ball came to KDB is a penalty. 
Every, so, anywhere, anywhere on the field, it's a penalty, right? But that, because because the way VAR works in in the FA, they're never gonna call it. So that one, honestly, it's like I would say it's it's a foul. Six, it's it's a penalty, like sixty forty. You know what I mean? And so you can't it's, say sixty forty. He's taken at his legs. He's not. He hasn't gone for the ball. He's not. Well, looking he at the he ball. also kind of gets in front of him to shield it. So like I would say, it's more likely. It's, I would say it's more likely a penalty than not, but yeah. I don't think like you can say that's clearly 100% a penalty. I think that's a judgment call. And I think the reason they have that clear and obvious thing is because they still the, – the point of VAR is not to take away autonomy from the refs on the field. It's to reverse like blatantly obvious calls that they have missed. And I don't think that was a blatantly – I think it was a bad call. Like, I, I think the ref should have called it a penalty. And I agree with you. I think they would have upheld it if the ref called it a penalty. But I don't think that VAR should be stepping in to overturn that because those are uh, essentially judgment calls. It was just like in the Arsenal game. The same thing happened in the Arsenal game where I think it was Rob Holding got across KDB and did the same thing. Um, it's... It's more debatable because KDB didn't get the ball and like he's going towards it. And it's, it's one of like, are it, did he get there in time to block him off or did he but, just cut but, him down? And KDB, I get, didn't like, KDB have possession in this one. No, he was running towards a pass. He was, he was, there was a, there was a pass like, I forgot who it was, maybe Bernardo or Gundogan, and they cut it back in the box and KDB was running up to it at the edge of the box, and Fred kind of like shielded him slash cut him down. Like he was, I think he was just a little too late was, in trying to shield him, and then it yeah, cut, he, was, and he, he cut him down. He but cut like him down that's, from that's behind. That's a judgment his, call. But like, he put his leg and took out his knee. Right? Yeah, but so, he also like he's going to shield. You know what I mean? Like when you when you have your back I, I to get the guy the, I, and you're get, attempting I, to shield. Yeah, that, I get like, the shielding gives you a little more. I get the shielding argument. I think that we had a similar call, like you said, against Arsenal, right? So. That one was more of a shielding, I think, with Thomas Party when he took out KDB by shielding him. But this one, he wasn't really shielding. He wasn't in front of Kevin De Bruyne. He took out his knee, so I don't know. Well, he anyway, tried it, to get in front of Kevin De Bruyne. That was the difference. Yeah, that's, different. that's what I'm saying. He tried to get it in front of Kevin De Bruyne and failed and actually took the man down instead of actually shielding the ball. So, to well, me, Yeah, he was just trying to shield, got there too late, but it's, it's still a judgment call. Like, I don't think it was 100% a penalty. I just, yeah. I don't. Anyways, so, okay. En- enough about the incompetence of their freeze. <laughs> yeah. So, halftime, how are up. you, how are you feeling at halftime? Because like, all I saw just from like browsing through Twitter was everybody was just complaining about the refs saying the yeah. refs are going to kill this and all this. I kind of took a different point of view. I thought, listen, fuck the refs. Like, I don't care about the refs. We have not been convincing in this first half. So, yeah. like, what we should be doing is putting it out of the hands of the refs so that the refs can't screw us. You know what I'm saying? Like, make yeah. it so that the refs' decisions don't matter. Uh, Look, I, so that's I, how I felt. I just felt we we weren't clinical enough in the final third in the first half. Yeah, look, I don't think we imposed ourselves on this game like we usually do. So, for me, the, the big difference, like, so I... From the first half, obviously, everyone, like you said, everyone was pissed off about the referee decisions, and my emotions were running high. 
We're playing Man United in a final. The treble's on the line. We're, we've drawn... We're, we're, the score's one all because of a shitty penalty decision. Um, you feel like you've been robbed for the first half in terms of referee decisions. But like you said, overall, we didn't really play a good first half. And like we said at the beginning of the pod, it, it could have been because of Gundogan's early, early goal where we went up 1-0 and we went into game management mode. But because you've you scored a goal in the first 12 seconds of the game, you can't manage the game for 90 minutes. It's, it's never going to happen, right? You, some bullshit's going to happen. Some madness is going to happen. That's football in a, in a nutshell. You know, a counterattack, someone slips, whatever. And United got a goal, right? So we went into a halftime, one all, where I feel like we were going through the motions a little bit in the first half. So that's how I felt in that first half and going into halftime, I was more like annoyed and feeling like, um, you know, it was just, it was just an emotion. It's it's hard to judge in the moment because you're so emotional about the game and because of who you're playing and because of what's on the line, um, you know, you really, really want to win the game. Um, but yeah, like second half, I always felt like in the back of my head, I'm like, okay, we should still win because we are better quality and we usually do play really, really well in second halves. Um, but I was a bit concerned. And to be fair, you've got to give credit, a little bit of credit to Manchester United. Ten Hag set them up really well in terms of how to... They almost like played a man marking system slash they half press. It was a weird system they set up, but they've done it to us before. And it kind of frustrates our build-up, makes it a little bit harder to, for us to build up from the back all the way to the front where I don't... Usually teams like this, we usually pin them into their box. We never really pinned Man United in their box. I don't feel like we ever did in the entire game. And like I said, that could be we weren't really imposing ourselves on the game. Maybe there's and maybe there's a bit of rustiness involved. So I kind of this is why I kind of said to you, I'm glad we had the FA Cup final before the Champions League final because a lot of our players hadn't played for two, three weeks. You know, some of the players that played in on this lineup hadn't played since Madrid second leg which was like 19 days ago prior to, the, to this game. So it's it's a huge gap for players. Like I think Grealish didn't play since the Madrid game, right? He, he didn't even play a minute. So, wrong. yeah. So he, I don't think he did either. Maybe he came on as a sub at once. Um, the one thing, so the way United defended is you're, like they didn't press high. You're right. And... They haven't really done that a ton all year. Like, I think Eric Ten Hag kind of had to take, like, he as a coach wants to press high. It's very Pep-like. But he knows with this team, they were getting shredded apart for the first part of the season when they were doing that. So he had to change his approach. And I think they're like, for like the stats where you essentially measure pressing, they're like 11th or 12th in the Premier League for the year. And... What I saw was what they did is they didn't really put a ton of pressure on the ball, um, but they had kind of a square surrounding Stones and Rodri to not give them the ball and basically just wanted to force either a Kanji or Walker to bring the ball up their side. And what they did is they had, like you said, with the man marking, um, Fred was man marking Kevin De Bruyne and Casemiro was man marking Gundogan. Now, there were some times that Kevin De Bruyne just dusted Fred and, you know, we were able to get some sort of threat out of it. But overall, it was pretty decent. I think the good thing that City did is 
they still controlled the game. Now, usually, like, when City don't offer a ton of threat going forward, um, they're getting just demolished on the counterattack, and that didn't happen. And United is one of the most dangerous teams on the counterattack with Rashford and with Bruno. Like, Bruno is maybe one of the best, other than Kevin De Bruyne, at just, like, releasing a counterattack with one pass. He's really good at that, and... They basically did nothing. Like I think their XG at halftime was like 0.89 or something like that. And 0.77 comes from the penalty kick. So they, and really until maybe the 70, 75th minute till Garnacho got subbed on, they really offered nothing. And so I think they set up well defensively, but I think city did a really good job of not losing the ball in dangerous areas. Cause that's what United wants you to do. And, you know, we created some chances that maybe should have scored, like, you know, the Holland shot in the second half that um, De Gea saved and then Gundogan scored, but he was offsides. Like, there's a couple of chances like that where we could have scored. It would have been a good goal, but could have. Obviously, City, I wish they created more, but overall, I think the game was pretty controlled up until the end. And... Really, that's all you can ask for. Like, it's a Manchester derby. United played about as well as they can play, and that's actually pretty hilarious considering we still controlled the game, <laughs> not playing at our best. Um, so they're shit, which is great. Um, but overall, I I think City did a pretty decent job of controlling the game given all of those circumstances and given that it's an FA Cup final. Um, overall, like, I, I'm pretty happy. In the second half, it was much better. I think we created yeah. some more. There, you could tell we actually created more chances in the second half, which was good. Like the goal was coming. We we struggled to involve Bernardo and Grealish in the first half. Even the second half, we still like, like I said, it was a strange game because it was a derby because of what was at stake, and I felt like there was a bit of rust in everyone's legs. Um, and just just a just a, a point of um, topic. Are you concerned with Haaland? He's only scored one goal in the last six games. Um, and it feels like his decision-making up front when he's going for goal hasn't been as clinical as we're used to. It's funny to say, like, <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to, like, play devil's advocate here, but, like, um, he's so good that you expect him to be always so good. But does it concern you at all that he, he hasn't scored as much as he should he should be? I'm not. I'm not concerned. It's hard. He's only got one. He'll, he'll he'll get get goals. He's only got one game left for this season, so I'm hoping he's saving he'll, him up for. <laughs> for he'll get his goals. Final. I'm not worried about Hall. Even if he doesn't score, like all he cares about is winning. And he did a lot of other things that were really good in this game. Like the way I, I he gotta dropped. Give him, yeah, I got to give him credit. He, his his build up play this game was fantastic. Yeah, and that that's really a help because, like, the way they're defending is they're essentially having Lindelof and Veron mark him and him only. And then Sean Wan-Bissaka are basically, their job was to stick to Grealish and Bernardo like glue. And what we try to do is just move around De Bruyne and Gundogan because they're being man-marked. Just like drag those midfielders away from where they don't want to be. And that leaves a big gaping space for Holland to drop into. And he did it perfectly. He did it really he did. well. That was He was able to... Um, he was able to really kind of help progress us up the field when that was the best way forward. And so I was really happy with the way he played. The goals are going to come. It's Erling Holland. They're going to come. I'm not worried about that. 
So, yeah, I, I'm honestly, I'm not too worried about that. And in terms of like how Grealish and Bernardo played, I thought that was more of just their job. Like in this case, like Juan Basaka is a very, very good one-on-one defender. Grealish did take it a couple times. Like there was one, I think it got Casemiro a yellow card. It got somebody a yellow card because Grealish just had a wide open lane and ran into it. But when you're when you're out like that, like their job was more to drag their defender out to create space for others in this game, and that's just how City wanted to attack, essentially. So I don't really hate it. I like obviously they weren't the greatest games ever for either of them, but I think it was more of the instructions of the game than anything else. Yeah, so. I'll, 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 I'll go with that. Just on the, um, uh, so, Gardner's second goal. Thoughts on that? I honestly, I didn't think it was a very good shot. Like, it kind of came off his shin. And De Gea just, twice. <laughs> yeah, De Gea just stinks, man. Uh, now, whether he did, just didn't see it till the end or whatever, like, you got to save that. I know if, the way I kind of look at how, Keeper should be saving it. Is would I be pissed if Ederson didn't save that? And I would. So yeah, I would too. Uh, but to, to to give a counterpoint on that, um, the the goalkeeper and analysis guy, um, I always forget his name. I think it's Harrison. Um, said goalkeepers only save that eighty one percent of the time. So surprisingly, I thought it'd be a lot higher than that. But for for goalkeepers to save that only eighty one percent, I thought it'd be closer to ninety something percent. Um. But to only have I an eighty-one percent, still, it's still, it's still, it's still, it's still, it reflects really badly on De Gea, and and I feel like United need a new keeper. He can't pass from the back. He can't play Eric Ten Hag's way. That is the probably one of their biggest. Their it's their hardest position to fill because of De Gea, but they need to they need to make that decision. They need to cut him out now. And well, yeah, and it really him. hurt their build-up today because. We knew the second it goes back to De Gea, the ball's going long, and we get the ball back. Like, all City needed to do was not give him an easy pass, and they did that basically the entire game. But once it goes back to De Gea... He was never going to play the pass. Yeah, he was never going to play the pass. Once you get back to De Gea, you cut off an easy first pass, so you either make him go long or go intermediate. And he wasn't going to go intermediate because he's not that good of a passer, and that's too much of a risk to have the ball going the other way on a counterattack. So he went long every single time. And it was like, that's incredibly limiting to how Ten Hag wants to play. Incredibly limiting. So I would expect them to get a new keeper this summer, especially because I think De Gea is out of contract or they're they're looking at extending him, I think. He is, I think. And he's he's on... Kevin De Bruyne wages. Like yeah, he gets crazy. paid like four hundred grand crazy. a week. That's insane. They just and, they and, need to cut bait. And what's hilarious is a lot of you Man United fans actually think De Gea is a legend of the club. That just shows the levels that they've dropped. To think that De Gea is a legend, who's I think he's I don't think he's won a Premier League with them. I think he he might have been um, He won he won one. But he, he wasn't won, start, was he starting keeper for him in twenty thirty? I can't remember. I think so, I don't because think so. I know he was the starter the year, like the Aguero 93-20 year. 
I think I know he started for them then, so I'm pretty sure he did. Yeah. Anyway, um, the, the fact that the fact that they think, they think he's a legend is just hilarious. Like he had one incredible season, like that hey, 17, 18 season. He was like absolutely incredible, and that's, yeah, that's because the defense was shit. <laughs> yeah, the defense was terrible, and. He makes really good reaction saves. Like that's his yeah. his reactions are very good. His reflexes are very good, but he's kind of poor at everything else. But the reaction saves are kind of the eye popping ones. Like the those are the ones that you notice the most. Like you don't notice kind of commanding your box and and coming out to sweep a ball that you shouldn't. Stuff like the small stuff that you don't notice with keepers. That's not what you notice. You notice like eye-popping saves and that's kind of what he does and so he was really really good for that one season probably the only reason united got second and not like fourth or fifth and yeah you can't hate him for that well gunnan gets his second goal another massive moment for him another volley this was off his left foot <laughs> right foot left foot <laughs> left shin um, left shin and once we took the lead out how was your confidence levels after we took the lead? Did you feel like we we'd control the game for the rest of the game, and and do you feel like we needed the third, or do you feel like we were safe? I wanted the third just to kill it off, and because you you just you're never safe with a one goal lead, especially in a cup game when they're going to throw everything at you. Because at that point, a third goal doesn't really matter if they give up a third goal, and they did. Um, you know, there's obviously that one bounce around in the box that hit off the crossbar a couple times. But yeah, I, I wish we just killed it off. But you know, Pap, especially once it got deeper, like once it got to like the 75th, 80th minute, I knew we weren't going to score at that point. Like we were just yeah. going to try to kill it off. And I, I hope that right around the Gundogan goal, like in the early part of the first half, we would kill it off. And I think we kind of went for it and it just didn't fall. And then once it got later, it was, yeah, just kill it off at this point. Yeah, I, I, I felt the entire second half we needed the third. Um, because like you said, it's a cup game and madness can happen, right? And you saw it right at the end where Ortega made a very, very good save. And then he went up to the bar and then he tipped it over. John Stones, you know, hopefully doesn't have a concussion <laughs> going to that crossbar. Um, but that's a, that's for me is the reason why you want to kill a game off because madness can happen. We've seen it happen multiple times. We've seen it happen in other crazy games, Madrid last year, um, where things go against the run of play. You dominate for the entire game, but in the last five minutes, something can happen. And they almost scored in that in that last two, three minutes of the, of the game. And and if we went to extra time, who knows what happens, right? And then if you go to the penalties, again, who knows what happens? This becomes even more unpredictable. It's basically like a coin flip, right? So... I did want that third goal, but I'm I'm glad we we stood the pressure, um, and that shows how well we are defensively. Like we are such a better defensive team this season. My my confidence, like if this was two years ago or three years ago, I wouldn't be as confident in the defense to hold a lead like that when the pressure is on. It was you'd feel a bit more nervous, but I wasn't as nervous holding on to the lead. It's strange to say, even though we had a different, we had a second keeper. Imagine we had Stefan in goal and we were trying to hold the lead. I would have shat bricks. Um, but no, nah, look, it, it's it's a 
it's a credit to the defensive work that the team has put in, um, you know, this season. And especially in the last three, four months, you know, we've, we've played some big, big games and we've held clean sheets and we've held um, fantastic performances against a lot of pressure from a lot of very good teams. So for us, it, I expected us to do against um, United. And it's funny to say, the only player who actually put pressure on us that entire game was Garnacha. He probably was their best player when he came on, um, which, again, doesn't look great on Sancho. I think he's finished. Um, yeah, Sancho just looks like shit. He just looks terrible. He, it's crazy how how bad he looks in that United team. Um, but to me, he shouldn't. Garnacha should be getting the starting spot over him going forward. He's a better player. I, I wouldn't be surprised. Better. It depends on United's transfer business this summer because I know Rashford plays a lot on the left wing. Yeah, and it depends on if they sign a striker because Rashford's not a striker, and I don't see Garnacho taking Rashford's spot at least for now. Um, Anthony, who knows if he'll play up to his potential or not? Um, I expected more from him this year, but he didn't really do much. So, um, yeah, I think overall, like Garnacho is really the most impressive player on that team. Like if. You were to tell me as a city fan, like what player from United would you want on your team? I would choose Garnacho over anybody. Like yeah. Garnacho is the probably the only player right now that could come into the city team and like make a really meaningful contribution. Yeah. Other than that, we, I would we, we, we I'd love a winger like him on our team. He, he would be fantastic. Unfortunately, he's a good player. <laughs> they've got a they've unfortunately got a gem there. they've got a gem there. Um, All right. Final final performance that I want to talk about just before we move on um, is John Stones. What a player. What a He's going to be the most underrated footballer that I can remember. Like, nobody talks about him at all outside of City. And it's crazy. Like, I was, I was like, this, really, uh, yeah. unless you watch a bunch of city games, you don't know how good he is because uh, the Sam, casual fan just seems to think that he's, he's like the, the John Stones John of four Stones, years yeah. ago. Yeah, 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 100%. And I was listening to a, an athletic podcast and the way they were talking about John Stones was, I was just like, you guys don't even watch the games. Just stop talking about Man City. You, you're, you're still using the same old bullshit from four or five years ago. You know, like... That John Stones not like I, one of the guys I can't remember which reporter was saying on the Athletic, but he was basically saying John Stones is not a good defender, and he still isn't a good defender because he's got a mistake in him. It's like what John Stones have you been watching for the last three years? This John Stones is probably one of the best players in our team. He does everything, and he's playing like he's playing in a midfield role at the moment in possession, and then goes back at the centre back or right back when we're out of possession. It's crazy, man. It's absolutely. It is insane. It it's funny because when Kimmich when Kimmich at Bayern Munich when when Pep used him as that right back slash defensive midfielder and you know basically your your Swiss Army knife type player like Philip Lahm, yeah, yeah, like Philip Lahm as well. All the both of these players were got the plaudits and 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 the rewards and and the honors of of how well they played. But I don't feel like John Stones has been getting that yet. You know, I think City fans and you know, like myself, you and and other and other 
other city fa- like t- like media have been like talking about it, but it hasn't hit mainstream yet. No, no one they don't give him enough credit. He is it's crazy, man. He's such a good player. It's it's crazy the things he did. That little half turn he did at the edge of the box when Rashford was running from him. I was like, I was like oh, <laughs> Busquets. Cra- that was some Busquets stuff right there. I was like, I was like, what? <laughs> what are you doing, mate? <laughs> man, he's like, in- incredible. The runs he was making into midfield, opening up space, creating space for everyone else. So it, it changes the way we play because Roger is so. It opens things up for Rodri as well because before Rodri was like isolated and stuff like that. But with John Stones next to him, it just it opens up the entire midfield for us. Um, and it's just crazy, man. It's it's, it's he it's, needs yeah, to, the- he needs to receive the plaudits that he deserves because he's man. Yeah, the only other person who could do that is Rico Lewis, and Pep's not starting an eighteen-year-old in these games for obvious yeah. reasons. Like he shouldn't and- just be thrust into there. And, like, Rico Lewis really paved the way for this, and he's incredible. Like, Rico looks like a natural, and Stones just looks better every week. Like, Stones at first looked good, and he kind of did, like, did the job without making any mistakes, but now he's that he's getting more comfortable week by week in this role. He, like, he just looks fucking incredible. And I think, like you said, like, people still think... I think the best thing to happen for John Stones, I know he had personal problems when he was going through in the first part of his city career. He had a lot of personal problems and he still gets injury problems. Like that's one thing that Pep has been adamant about is like, we still need to manage his injuries. Yeah. Uh, but the best thing to happen to him was Ruben Diaz because 100%. ever since Ruben Diaz came, he's looked world-class and he hasn't reverted. Like that's what was, different about him previously is in years past he'd look like a world-class center back for five years or for five games and then he just looked like shit again and he's kept it up and he hasn't dropped it in three years to the point where he's not going to go back to that like you at some point you can't keep saying like oh he still has a mistake in him when he hasn't done it for three years he's he's in the prime of his career now so yeah, and he yeah he's twenty eight years why, old or twenty nine and yeah why are we still judging him on on mistakes he made as a 23, 22 year old that's that's a young player for a center back as well so center back usually yeah. make more mistakes at that age so why we why you know Van Dyke went to Liverpool at twenty six twenty seven if if we bought John Stones at this level at twenty six years old should he be getting second ranking in Ballon d'Or that's how yeah, that's how that's- well he's played and to your point about Lewis. The difference between him and Lewis when John Stones does it, John Stones is a much better one-on-one defender. He's a well, yeah, that's why Lewis doesn't play exactly like, right? as so, much as much. He's so eighteen John, and he's not as good a defender. Yeah, so John Stones does everything. Like there was a play where where Pep lost his mind and and because Rodri lost the ball running up the field and just like his legs were gone. But then John Stones was the one running back and making the defensive play and then re- recycling the play. That's the type of player he is. That's the type of player he is. He is immense and he needs to get the credit that he deserves because he's, he's such a good player. And look, we're in a Champions League final. We're, we're to, we potentially could do a treble. So if he, if we do that, maybe he will get the, <laughs> maybe the credit I that he does so. deserve. 
All, all I need is for his rating in FIFA to go above like 83. <laughs> it's fucking criminal. It's absolutely criminal. Like, like Laporte is constantly at like 87, 88, and Stones as, as is lo- constantly 82, 83. What does he got to do, man? As long as he gets his FIFA rating, guys, we're all good. Because <laughs> that, like, to me, that at least is a reflection on like what the public think about him. Is is what I know that it's not indicative of how good a player actually is, but come on, like he should not have a FIFA rating of eighty three for the last three years. It's criminal. It's uh, stupid. Sam, Sam just doesn't want to bench John Stones on FIFA anymore. Yeah, for real, because I always have to play Laporte and Diaz because Stones is. Stones is like just not good in FIFA, even though he has like the measurables. You gotta wait for him to get like an inform or a team of the year card. It's never fun. Um, but yeah, that's ah, I hate that. I hate that more than anything. But yeah, he's just I, I don't know what else to say about him. He's just he's a he's an immense player. He's been like that for years now. And also, what I love is like when they make a block or make a really good defensive play. Like him and Ruben Diaz are high-fiving, like chest bumping. They did it on, I think, one Garnacho shot that Stones blocked or got in front of and made it tough for him. And both of them are just like chest bumping right after it. Like they just scored a goal. I love that. And I think Diaz has brought that edge to him. I think that's a big part of why he's been so much better is like Diaz is just, it's another shout is, and honestly, like the entire back line really like, They have been the reason that the stability has been there for the past three, four months is because of Diaz has returned. Like Diaz really hadn't other than like since the first season, like Diaz was injured a lot last year and he didn't really recover that form. Diaz got back to that the second half of the season and just looked like the Ruben Diaz again, a Kanji running out of superlatives for him. Like, for his first season under Pep, he's been everywhere and he's been incredible. Um, yeah, Stones is Stones. Walker was great as usual, and Ake as well. Like all of those guys, Rodri too. Like immense. All of them have been immense. All right, so let's talk about the uh, the big, the big, big T word coming up and the big Champions League final coming up. How are you feeling? You feeling sick yet? <laughs> no, I'm I'm really going to try to like not focus on this for a whole week because <laughs> it'll just rack my brain like I'm going to keep watching Inter film and like that's what I've been doing for the past 2 days is just watching like Inter matches. Honestly like just looking at you they know typical what typical Italian team, aren't they? Yeah, like they're very Antonio Conte, like which yeah. he was their coach before, so it makes sense. But yeah. um, I see a lot. Like, I think there's a misconception about how Italian teams play, um, and I think it's for the like. I think people think Italian teams are more defensive than they actually are. Like, you're not looking at like Tony Pulis's West Brom here. Like, you're not looking at that. <laughs> Yeah, okay, everyone expects way, us to play, park a double decker bus and just hold out for the 90 minutes. Yeah. Not gonna do that. Now, a lot of them play back fives, but generally the wingbacks are very dynamic wingbacks. Like they're very good attacking as well as defending. So they're, mm-hmm. they, they probably have some of the most important and 
toughest jobs on the field. And so for Inter, chances are like their starting wingbacks are going to be DeMarco on the left, who's very good, and Dumfries on the right, who is um, he's kind of a threat in the box. He's he's a bigger guy. He's not really very good in like crossing the ball, but he can kind of like sneak up at the back post. So DeMarco is kind of the more creative threat out wide, which they that's kind of how interplay is like their playmaking comes from out wide. And so, um, but they're a very Conte team and they're a very Italian team in that like they do build up from the back, but their buildup isn't like patient. It is like three passes and they're in your box. That's how it, and it, that's why it reminds me of Conte. Like Conte used to be like, get it out to like Ben Davies who just fires a pass right into Harry Kane. Harry Kane makes a turn and like puts Hyunming Sun through and literally within two passes, Sun's in on goal, something like that. Right. And that's how this inter team plays is, you know, obviously they don't have Harry Kane. They play a three, five, two instead of a three, four, three that Spurs play, but it is very like you get the ball to a feet of a midfielder midfielder might get it to another midfielder or up to a striker. And then it goes out. It like switches out wide to the opposite wing back who's just streaking down. And that's how they progress up the field. It's very quick. Um, what I think they'll have trouble with is that's not easy to do against the city press. And I know city have had trouble with Tottenham, obviously under Conte, especially. Um, but I think a lot of that's due to Harry Kane. Cause Harry Kane is one of the best strikers in the world. And the fact that he can drop that deep and, distribute the way that he does like nobody else can do that and nobody on inter can do that but inter do have good players so they're going to have to be on top of their game because that's a dangerous well yeah and that's a dangerous game you play against city because you're firing balls like the the passes they they're not short passes they're like they're long passes along the ground and that's a dangerous game you play when you have Rodri, De Bruyne, and Gundogan. They intercept one of those passes, or if one of your, you know, midfielders or somebody doesn't have a good touch, City's off. Like they're yeah. they're off to the races. So that's kind of the dangerous game they'll play, and that's kind of why I watched them against um, Lazio, is because Maurizio Sarri coaches Lazio. That's probably the closest to a Pep team that you'll see in Syria in Lazio's second place, which is fucking incredible, but that's another story. Um, but lot that's, I mean, that's how Lazio scored against them. Inter ended up beating them three, one because Lazio has got their own problems, but, uh, Lazio scored Lazio, against them. <laughs> yeah. I'm not, not much to take from Lazio, but yeah. Um, Lazio scored on them because one of their center backs was, you know, just kind of taking his time a little too much on the ball, got it taken off of him, and there's the, your goal. So um, I do think that they'll have trouble building up against us, and maybe that forces them to just start booting it deep. Yeah, I don't know. I, I have a feeling my feelings on the game is, is because we're so much of a superior team in terms of talent and the way we do press, they're naturally going to be more counter-attacking team than they normally are so obviously they do like to play with the ball and they do like to move it up really quickly but for me the way that will set up is 
just generally going to be more defensive. They're going to they're going to have to because we're going to we're going to put that pressure on them. Um, and one of the best ways to defend a Pep team is to sit in a low block um, with a bit of a with a bit of a press up, um, kind of like how United set up. So I wouldn't be surprised me if they do set up very similar to United did in the FA Cup final. But I feel like the the key things for us to win the game is going to come down to De Bruyne, I think. So De Bruyne has to give us a De Bruyne performance. That's what I... He hasn't had a like massive performance since probably Madrid um, or maybe even Arsenal. So if he shows up the way I expect him to, I, f- I feel like we should get through this game. And look, we are the superior side. Let's be honest. We are favorites in this game. Um, but it is a cup final and anything can happen in a cup final. How I'm feeling, like I said, this game has been rent-free in my head for weeks now. So, you know, it, it's it's amazing. Because we finished the Premier League a bit earlier than I expected to, um, obviously that, that takes first priority because you have to finish the job first there. Um, but we, we kind of finished the Premier League, what is it, a week after we finished Madrid? So... No, a couple of days after the the players didn't have to play after Madrid because that's right. uh, yeah, that's right. Arsenal yeah, that's right. lost. That's right. Yeah, sorry, that's right. Yeah, so we basically didn't play a single meaningful Premier League game after Madrid. So basically, the Madrid final, well, not the Madrid final, sorry, the CL final has literally been in my head just sitting there for weeks now, um, and it's going to be like that for the rest of the week. I'm I'm not going to be able to tune out. I can't, um, and I am already a nervous wreck for this game, and I feel like. The, the, the thing for me right now is we've won the double, which is fucking amazing without anything else, right? But <clears throat> the thing I want more than anything right now is that Champions League. And the reason why I want it more than anything is it's a golden opportunity to win the Champions League. You're not going to be in this position every year. You're not going to be in the position to ever probably win a treble again. Like, let's be honest. That is such a difficult thing to do. You know, you have to have the stars aligned for you with injuries, with luck, with matchups with you know key games key players etc right there's so many factors to get to this point so for us to be in this position is an amazing opportunity and i want us to do it and i've I've said this before if you want to be we all know city is the best team in europe we all know it's probably the best team in the world right now but you have to win the champions league to prove it and we haven't won it before and if we do win it we get the monkey off our back it makes a huge, huge difference for the future in terms of Champions League. Because every time you go into a Champions League game or a Champions League final, the confidence is there. You're not nervous anymore. You're not. It's like we've won it before. What's the worst that's going to happen, right? Yeah, you have the arrogance. Of, you have the, you arrogance, have the arrogance, right? Exactly. So you need we, that. 100%. We need that arrogance. We need, we need to do that big step in terms of finally winning the Champions League. Because once we do do it, I guarantee you, it would not surprise me if over the next decade, we've been at two or three more times with the quality of players that we have, with Pep still as manager, with the quality that we're trying to bring in every season, with Haaland leading up front. It would not surprise me if we're back here in this position next season, if we win it, right? But we have to The monkey's off your back. Exactly. It it takes pressure off. It's like, yeah, we've been here. We know how we've, we've competed. We've won it. We've got the confidence. We've got the arrogance. So for us now, it's just about getting this job done. We need to do it. I honestly don't care that it's a treble. It's more about we need that Champions League final and I want it for the future and for the benefit of Manchester City as a football club going forward. 
because it cements us as a European great team. We can't call ourselves a great European team until you win the Champions League. And that's the honest truth. It's, it's, it's an unfortunate truth, but, but history does not remember second place finishes. You know, Liverpool fans will always bring up that they've been a part of three Champions League finals in the last five years, but no one gives a fuck. You've got They've to lost two of them. You've, you've lost two of them, exactly. You've got to win it. And they did win it in 2019, fair enough. But you've got to yeah, win it. Yeah, they beat their be- habitual lost Spurs. Yeah. And look, they were massive favorites in that game. And everyone expected Liverpool to win, but they got the job done. And that's what we need to do now. We need to get the job done, get the monkey off our back, and then cement ourselves as the greatest team in Europe. You cement yourself as treble winners, which is only been done once by a Manchester United team in 1999. Right, So you cement yourself automatically as one of the best teams the Premier League has ever seen. But I guarantee you, if we don't win the Champions League, no one's going to put us up there. You will never get the plaudits that you deserve. That This team does deserve those plaudits. You, to, to say that we won the Champions League is with a, with a trouble. It's, it puts you up there automatically. It, it, there's, no, there's, no, there's no ifs or buts or, 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 or arguments. You're up there. And this team does deserve it because they've played... For, amazing like we've been night and day in terms of quality in terms of against other teams you know we had a, we had a, a tight title run in for the last three months but we absolutely smashed our title rival in in a key game we smashed them we smashed Liverpool we smashed Bayern we smashed Madrid so we know we're the best team in Europe but you've got to get the trophy at the end of it otherwise it doesn't mean anything or, 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 or only, the only people that are going to remember it is City fans. And we're only we're going to remember it by saying, wow, that was a fantastic team, but they didn't get the job done on the game that matters the most. And this is the game that matters the most. We need to fucking win that game. And that's why I'm so nervous. It's, it's, it's like, it's literally, like I said, it's living in my head rent-free because I know how big this game is. I can't imagine how the players are feeling. I hope they relax. I hope they're, they're ready and amped for this game. But they have to bring their best performance come to that game. And we've got to do the job. we got to do the I, job. I think it helps most of them that they've been in this game before. I agree. I think that helps a lot. The and fact like that we've Inter, lost the Champions League final, yeah, it helps. It kind of helps. And, and I think that Inter, like, everybody's saying, well, you know, it's Inter and they're, they're veterans of the Champions League. Well, these players aren't. None of these guys have been in Champions League final, I don't but, think. But to be fair, to be fair to Inter's players, they know they're underdogs. And when you're underdogs, it's a lot easier. No one. Yeah, and no, also I think no they've has won it, like. Yeah. They, they've won like eleven out of twelve or something like that. Like they're in good they've, form. They've won, yeah, they've won fifteen out of seventeen or something. It's crazy. Yeah, something um, crazy. So they're, they're playing they're in well. really good form. And and look, they're gonna go into the game as underdogs, and they know they're underdogs. No one expects Inter to win, so they can go in the game and go. We're gonna give it our best shot. What's the worst that's gonna happen? And going into a game like that is a lot better than going into a game as oh, we need to win. We were expected to win. Everyone expects us to do the treble. That plays on your mentality. It's normal, right? Like we all, we've all played sports. When you're favorites, when you're whatever, it it, it hurts your mentality in that, in that sense. But I know we know that City. Like I think the only player that hasn't played the Champions League final that's probably going to start is Akanji and um, Akanji and Haaland probably, and maybe uh, was no Grealish wasn't there actually. Rodri didn't start. Grealish wasn't there. Rodri didn't start in the Champions League final, but he. He was on. The he was team. part of the team. He was part of the team. So look, a lot of the players were part of the disappointment in that game. So they'll know how to. They know they'll know the feeling. They'll know the expectations. And we were favourites going into that game. So a lot of players will know 
that just because you're favorite doesn't mean you're going to win. So they might have a different mentality. And I think that will help. It's going to help us for sure. Like, there's no way you can... And people have said this to me before, you've got to suffer in the Champions League before you go out and win it. And we've suffered. We've suffered Champions We've suffered a final loss. We've suffered heartbreaking semifinals losses. We've suffered heartbreaking yep. last-minute decisions. We've suffered. And we gotta, we got to do it one more. One more time. Yeah. I no more suffering. No more suffering. Now we need well, to I mean, we just, the job. We just need to finish the job, and it's not going to be easy because it's an Italian team. Like, it's just not going to be it's easy. It's not going to be easy. These There's no are, way it's going to be easy. We know it's and not going to so, be easy. I, I would be surprised if it was easy. So, yeah, I think the just at least tactically, I think the game personally will be won in the wide areas because generally what we do against back threes slash back fives is we really want to draw out the third center back out wide because that creates a lot more space in the middle. And so generally what we try to do is because like in the three five two. The only wide players are the wingbacks. So we you want to draw them out, and then you want to exploit the space in between them and the third center back that's closest to them. So if you're on their right side, you'd want to draw out their right-sided center back in the back three, and that creates space in the box because there's only two center backs in the box. And so that's where the game is usually won, is like the interchanging between... Either on the left, it would be like Grealish and Gundogan or Ake or Akanji, whoever plays that left back spot, or on the other side between Bernardo, who it looks like, or Kevin De Bruyne or Kyle Walker, whoever played. Like those wide areas are where it's going to be won because you're going to go wide and then you're going to see either some sort of cross or cutback, or that's, I think, how the. Um, how the goals are going to be created or even like come back closer to the middle because there might be some space in front of that back three. So I think it's going to be interesting, but I think that's where the game will be won is out in those wide areas. And that's where the playmaking will come from. Yeah. It's going to, look, it's going to be uh, a very tactically set up team. I'm just hoping Pep doesn't put Edison that left back or something crazy. Please Pep, <laughs> just keep, keep it together. And on that point, um, lineup, do you expect a similar lineup to Bayern and Madrid? I do. I expect us to go literally with the same lineup as Madrid, but with Ake back in, Walker goes to the bench, Akanji goes out to right back, and we play with a, with a back four of Ake, Ake, Stones, Diaz, um, sorry, Ake, Akanji, Diaz, Stones, Edison back, Rodri, Grealish and Bernardo, Gundogan, Kevin De Bruyne and Haaland. Not much changes, yeah. just just getting in this extra center back instead of Walker because I don't think we'll need Walker in this game. And I feel like Akanji and Ake are both better in the build-up and we're going to need that better build-up, um, especially with Ake being a left left footer. And yeah, I expect, I expect that's the only changes I expect. I don't expect Foden to come in. I don't expect Maris to come in. Um, I, I would agree with that. And also Ake, I think, is a little better closer to the box, which he might need to push up more in this game. Yeah. So and 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 because Inter are a pretty to, big team up front, you'd kind of want those extra center backs. Um, yeah, and they play three center backs. They're big dudes. Yeah, yeah exactly, exactly. Um, I would so, I would probably agree. I mean, it wouldn't surprise me if Walker played. Yeah, it wouldn't surprise me either. But I don't. But like, I, I don't that's really it. the only thing that I think would be a it's surprise. The only question mark. It's the only question. Yeah, the mark only the question mark would be. 
Ake, Akanji, or Walker to play the two fullback roles. That's yeah. like that's the only real question. Yeah, I agree. Um, pretty good. Uh, pretty good score. What do you think? How do you think this game is going to go? I, are we going to get the job done, or is it going to be another disappointment f- in the Champions League final? Three <laughs> one. Three one. Wow. Okay. Three one. I think we're going to score three goals against Inter. Yeah, because I think once we get one, they're going to chase the game, and it'll open it up a little more. Okay, I'm gonna go for a more conservative one uh, nil win for City. Oh, that would be nerving. Yeah, it's gonna be. It's it, look. I don't think we're gonna win this game easy. I, I'd love for us to be up three nil by thirty minutes and then just cruise for the rest of the game. Um, but my expectation is gonna be very tight. I don't know if it'll be cagey, but it's just. The way Inter are gonna set up, it's gonna it's gonna annoy us. It's gonna annoy our build up. It's gonna annoy the way we create chances. Um, I'm hoping. I'm just hoping Haaland's really, really on it, and he because the thing that we've been missing the last three years of this brilliant City team has been that clinical finish up front, and Haaland is that game changer for us. It does open up things for everyone else. So I'm, I'm hoping he does help finally secure us that Champions League, and we get a treble. And this time next week, Sam, me and you are celebrating a fucking treble. That's that's my hope. So I'm going for a 1-0 Man City. And from now to the end of the week, I am going to be shitting bricks. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's go really quick on this one. Last thing. Does Gundogan deserve a statue? Is he a club legend in your opinion? Uh, okay, so... That's a, that's a high look, bar now that City's so good. Look, he has, he's got the legendary status, 100%, right? He is a definite legend of Manchester City. He's up there with the, with the folk heroes like Zabaleta and company and Yaya and Aguero. And he's a legend of the club, 100%, right? Especially in this Mansour era. There's no doubt about that. Statue is a different story. And the reason, the only reason why, I'd say that the bar for a statue is you need to give at least 10 years. That's for me, that's, that's a minimum requirement. If you don't give 10 years to the club, then you shouldn't deserve a statue. And I think he's sitting at seven. This is his seventh or eighth year. So if he does another two or three, it's years, a seventh. He started when Pep started. Yeah. Sorry. So this is seventh year. So if he does 10 years, he might fall short because we might only give him a two year contract. But if he does 10 years here, then I'll say, okay, fair enough. You maybe you do deserve a statue. And it depends what he does in those two years at City, right? Like, obviously, there's still things to do. Because he's been fantastic the last five years here, but maybe the first two years with his, all his injuries, issues, and whatnot, he hasn't... He's not statute-serving yet, right? David Silva, company, Aguero, all gave us 10-plus years. They did their own fantastic, magnificent things in those in that time where... Not only were they legends, they were classified as some of the best players to be ever seen in the Premier League in terms of in, in their positions. So for, for Gundogan to reach that statue level, I feel like he does need 10 years. And and this, this is the argument, right? Like if Gundogan deserves a statue, does Kevin De Bruyne deserve a statue? Who's gonna he's gonna hit 10 years because by the time his contract expires, he'll be he would have given 10 years to Man City. So then you're handing out um, statues to everyone. And it's like 
it's an argument of like, do we give statues to Gundam? Do we give a statue to Kevin De Bruyne? Do we give a statue to Phil Foden in 10 years? All these things are, are going to come into play. Um, but in terms of who's the closest or who's the next in line for a statue, it would be Kevin De Bruyne. So is Gundogan at that level? Does Is Gundogan... Look, I, if we win the Champions League, it's a different story as well because if you win the Champions League, you're the first first city team to ever do that. So someone yeah, and has he'd to, be the captain. And he'd be the captain, right? So there's going to be a couple of players in that in this era that are going to deserve a statue. But it's going to come down to maybe 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 similar to the the David Silva, the um company and the Aguero trio, maybe the next trio to get the the statues will be Gundogan, Kevin De Bruyne, Haaland. <laughs> <laughs> Give us ten years, Harlan, please. <laughs> potentially, um, potentially. I mean, it could be. It could be. We're, 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 so we're so early into this. Yeah, it's so early. You don't know. It could be John Stones. Like it could be. Oh, I don't. Ruben I don't Diaz. Think John, yeah, I don't think maybe Ruben Diaz. Yeah, maybe Ruben Diaz. I don't you, think John you, like, Stones you, would. Will get it. He won't get the plaudits. Like I said, he doesn't. He doesn't get the credit he deserves. Um, and because he had a few years where it's like, oh, is he in? Is he out? Um, but you also don't know, like, what if John Stone stays here until he retires, till he's thirty-five years old? That's yeah, we look, we don't, we six, don't know. seven more years at the club. Then you're you're a legend. You've been there for fifteen years, seeing all that success. It's just different. I, but I agree. Like, <clears throat> I think it's going it's to depend. I don't think Gundogan's at statue level yet. I think he's at potential. Like, if City win this Champions League. And he extends. Maybe they win another or win a couple other Premier Leagues with him as the captain under a reign of like four or five years as a captain. Yeah, I could see it. Like, I, I could definitely see it at that point. But right now, yeah. I think it's a little premature. I agree. I agree with that. Uh, and it's the the big name that we forgot to mention in all these statue talks is the big man himself in 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 Pep Guardiola. He's gonna get a statue. He are you? They should name the stadium <laughs> after him. What are you talking? It needs to be the Pep Guardiola Etihad Stadium. I, I they, think he, I, a statue's I, not enough. Yeah, I think I think if if Pep wins the treble this season, he's guaranteed having a stand named after him. He'll get a statue and a stand named after him. Yeah, it's just he. I like, mean, without a doubt, he, he'll be approaching ten years at the club. He's already at legendary status, like fucking amazing legend. He's the best manager we've ever had, ever. He's the um, best manager in the history of football. Yeah, I agree. With I that. mean, I agree. But like he's I said, he, achieved he, much he, of that at City. If he does, if he does the treble, that South Stand is getting renamed to the Pep Stand. <laughs> Let's be honest. I'm okay with that. Yeah, I and mean, then that, that's that's where I think we're at in terms of legendary statuses for. Um, like you said, I agree with you. Gundogan is not there yet, and it's it, it is a higher bar. You know, David Silva, Company, and Aguero were the the foundation layers of this era, so they deserve that credit and they deserve that legendary statue status for bringing us to that level. But now the the bar that they've set <clears throat> is incredibly high, and for anyone else to get a statue, like I said, they got to do some madness, and a madness is winning a treble. And winning a Champions League or winning, winning multiple Champions League. So if if we're here next year and we've already done the treble and we're going into another Champions League final and we do another Champions League, fucking give him a statue. 
<laughs> give Gundogan, Kevin De Bruyne, give him Wallace that. I don't give a shit. <laughs> yeah, I can't wait. I can't wait. Well, I am nervous. <laughs> please, City, don't bottle this. Please, please. <laughs> well, guys, um, I think it wraps it up for today. We will see you guys after the final. Um, hopefully recovering from hangovers uh, for Happy celebrating hangovers. too much. Yeah. <laughs> Happy hangovers, not not terrible hangovers. So everybody enjoy yourself. Don't stress too much. And uh, yeah, don't be like will. me. Yeah. <laughs> don't stress too much. Take your mind off things. Go get some exercise. Sit in the sauna. Get the get the anxiety and stress out of you. And let's do this thing. Let's go get the trouble. It's talking awake. See you guys. Bye.